Alright everybody, welcome back to a new episode. Um, today we're going to go to a very deep topic. Praying to the saints. Saint Mary, Saint Joseph, Saint Paul, Saint Peter, Saint Michael, the Archangel. Um, the reason why we're going to go into this is because a lot of people seem to be confused with the Catholicism basis on this versus what Christians and Protestants and other people think. So we're going to go deep into this and try to figure out why they say, you know, Mary is the Son of God, so we should pray to her. And other arguments are, um, we don't pray to Mary, we ask her to pray to us. So... The first thing is that the Catholics believe in a thing called veneration of the saints. The traditional veneration of the saints usually uh, is meaning of great respect or reverence. However, there are similar words that would go into veneration with great respect. That's reverence, respect, adoration, homage, um, exaltation. Um, Idolatation, glorification, extolment, idolization, devotion, honor, esteem, regard, high regard, praise, respectfulness, worshipfulness, um, awe, and one of the worst out of all these things is worship. And the reason why these are bad is because it goes against every teaching that the Bible says, from the Ten Commandments to everything. And I'm going to go into this to explain it. The Jewish faith, Judaism, they believe in praying to one God. One God being Yahweh or Yehovah, Jehovah, however, you know, people want to, you know, go into it. When they look into their God, they pray to him. And one of the biggest arguments between Christianity and um, Judaism is Jewish people believe in one God and he doesn't have an equal. Similar to Islam. Islam believes the same thing. There is one God, there is no equal. And in Christianity, we believe that there's one God. But with the Trinity doctrine and how Jesus explained it was bring everybody, you know, um, in the book of Matthew, he explains it, and baptize all nations in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is the direct um, equivalency of what the Trinity stands for, believing that our God is one God, but um, can have three different spiritual aspects to him. Now, when we go in here, we're going to go into the scriptures, we're going to go into apologetics and learning a bit about this, and this might be a very long episode. So, I might break it up into a couple parts, or I might just put it in one very big long episode. Um, I'm still trying to decide on how I'm going to edit this. So, we're going to go in with Mary and the Saints. So... 
the thing is, Mary and the saints, Peter, Joseph, um, Paul, they're all humans. And they are also prayed to by the Catholic and Orthodox churches. And they believe they should be worshipped and or ven uh, venerated. And that is when I explained it. The, one of the parallel words to veneration is worship. Some believers, um, Mary and the saints could be considered what the Christians do as worship. Um, so, when we go into it, the Catholic and the Orthodox Church use the word veneration to distinguish respect and admiration for the saints from worship of God. So they take the word and they change it into, they just use a specific analogy for it. Not the, the full parallel, but they use one word for it for a deep respect. Which I don't have a problem with people respecting Mary or the saints because they're the ones that helped deliver um, the gospel to the all nations. However, it was Jesus who chose the apostles to go out there and... Um, before we actually go further into this, there was a doctor that uh, went out on a YouTube video to try to explain this. And he went in and he tried to categorize the scripture. When And the way he categorized it was Joseph and Mary had intimate relations, but there was a immaculate conception where she didn't lose her virginity and Jesus was born from that so they did get intimate they did you know have sex apparently in the Bible to, according to this doctor who is a doctor apparently in theology and is a Catholic but this goes against all Catholic tradition all biblical scriptures and all um, prophecy everything that he said was an outright uh, assumption of what he believes this to be true he will not listen to anybody respond to anybody I've asked him and many other people have asked him can you explain it and he will not he put out a video and the video makes no sense furthermore he goes by the doctrines of the catech uh, the doctrines of the Catholic Church the catechisms and what the Pope says he doesn't actually go by the actual scriptures. And because the actual scriptures don't mention a whole bunch about Mary and a whole bunch about, you know, the, uh, they explain the Immaculate Conception and all that, but they don't explain like in depth. He puts out an assumption or a explanation of what he believes and he wants everybody else to believe it. This is the, one of the reasons why I'm doing this. So, Protestants, like um, Angelican churches, promote uh, veneration of Mary as a belief in her Immaculate Conception, born without original sin and the Assumption to Heaven. But... To address this matter, we need to focus on any scriptural evidence that would indicate that these individuals should be worshipped or venerated. Our primary focus is to find the truth on this.
So we're going to start by focusing on the scriptures pertaining to the Virgin Mary. And I'm going to cite from the New Testament. Um, and I'm going to address Mary in this. Please understand that I'm not disrespecting her. I do respect and honor Mary a lot. Or her real name, Miriam. Um, being the, the one who gave birth to Jesus. And I do believe that she was chosen for this event because she was part of the lineage of David and there was a specific lineage that needed to be followed in a specific category and a specific timeline based in prophecy that only God would know. And this is where it all comes down to be. So... When we look for the scriptural evidence that supports the con the concept of worship or veneration of Mary, uh, veneration being due to Mary, Catholics and Orthodox Christians pray to Mary because they believe she can answer their prayers. But the scriptures say Matthew one sixteen through twenty, Mary is mentioned in reference to her husband Joseph. Mary is mentioned as the mother of Jesus and being with a child throughout the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 2.11, the Magi visit the young Jesus in his house and worship him. Mary is just mentioned as being there. So if the Magi, the Magi, um, end up going there and they're seeing Mary and Jesus and everything, they're worshipping Jesus. They're not saying, you're the queen of heaven and he's the king. And this is another thing. Everybody, a lot of Catholics will say Mary's the queen of heaven. But if Jesus is the king of heaven, then Mary can't be the queen. On top of that, she was never worshipped or mentioned in any other way other than being present. Matthew 12, uh, 48 through 50, Jesus puts no special emphasis on his mother. In Matthew 13, 55, Mary is merely mentioned as the mother of Jesus, and it all also mentioned that he has brothers and sisters. In Mark 3, 31 through 35, it's the same thing as Matthew 48 through 50. Mark 6, verse 3, the scripture is very similar into preceding the scripture in Matthew. So this is where we're seeing parallels. And when we're understanding the parallels in these scriptures, what it's basically saying is, without me having to go into the scriptures and reread the same thing over and over again to try to save time, it's basically explaining similar things to what Matthew and Mark are saying. Luke 1.27 mentions that Mary was a virgin, and she was betrothed to Mary Joseph. In Luke 1.30, an angel informs Mary that she found favor with God. This scripture will be addressed a little later in this. Luke uh, 1.34, Mary asks a question of the angel. Uh, in Luke 1.38, Mary says... She is the Lord's servant, Jesus being the Lord, so she's his servant. 
I don't see any queen in there. Um, Luke 139, Mary hur hurries to a town. Uh, Luke 141, Mary greets Elizabeth. 146, um, Mary says her soul glorifies the Lord. Um, Luke 156, Mary stays with the Elizabeths for three months. Luke 2 verse 5, Mary is Joseph's espoused wife. Luke 2.16, Shepherds find Mary and Joseph. Luke 2.19, Mary ponders. Um, Luke um, 2.34, uh, Simeon blesses Mary. Luke 8.19 through 21, it's the same as um, Mark, uh, uh, Mark 3.31 through 35 and Matthew 12.48 through 50. Luke 11:27 uh, through 28, Jesus does not offer Mary any special praise when he has the opportunity to do so. And Acts 1:14, Mary prays with her disciples, or with the disciples. Sorry. So when we understand this, all of this doesn't show any really gratification to Mary being doing anything super significant other than giving birth. Now that's not trying to take anything away from her. She is definitely a very important part and a very integral role to this entire process of bringing the gospel to all nations because without Jesus we wouldn't have the salvation we have. And she has always been an important person. However, in all Abrahamic faiths, we're there to worship one God not multiple gods or saints because that would contradict what the scriptural teachings are and that would bring us forward to polytheistic paganism. Now when you carefully read the scriptures which I laid out to you there's no evidence or idea that Mary the mother of Jesus has any special power or position. She was a righteous woman God chose her but there's no evidence for us to be praying to her, to her or pr have her praying for us. There's no scriptural support for special veneration or auditation or even worship of Mary by Christians. The Bible does not support veneration or worship for Mary, let alone the saints themselves. And as we look through historical evidence to find the answer, we first will look at any biblical evidence to support veneration of worship of saints. In the Old Testament, there are four words translated to saint um, or saints. And that is, I'm going to probably butcher these words, but Quidosh, uh, Quidish. Kodish and uh, Kahit. These four words are used 38 times in the Old Testament. Again, I probably butchered them, and I do apologize if I did. Um, The saints are not mentioned as being aware of anything in death or residing in heaven. When we turn to the New Testament, one word for uh, one word is used for saint or saints, and that is um, 
hegios in Greek. The word is used 62 times in the New Testament, and once again there is no mention of anyone praying to the saints or the saints having any special powers after death to answer prayers. That said, the saints were given abilities, but after they died they weren't given any special abilities to do or answer prayers, and there's nothing in, um, in Scripture that actually gives us a clear indication of praying to saints. The scripture that causes confusion, though, is Revelation 6, 19 through 11, which speaks of the souls under the altar in heaven crying out to God. We also have to understand that the book of Revelation is a vision that God is, um, not God, that a vision that John is seeing. The book is highly symbolic, and most of it is understood literally, uh, is not to be understood literally. Notice in verse 11, these souls are told to rest a little while longer. We understand this to mean that there are souls asleep waiting for the second coming of Christ, and they will awaken out of their graves. So, there's often many confusions on when we die, if we go straight to heaven, or if we're asleep until the coming of Christ, and then we get to hold um, to heaven. Um, there's scriptures in Jude 14 that can cause confusion where saints reside. Um, there's uh, the booklet the booklet of the dead saints um, which I'm pulling out now that re reference Peter, Paul, and Moses that are asleep in death. Some of them believe in Jude 14 um, addresses saints like Peter and Paul coming out of heaven with Jesus, but we have to remember that hegios means holy ones in Greek and can refer to true believers in Jesus, Peter, Paul, the apostles, etc. But it can also refer to God's angels. Jude is referring to a prophecy made by Enoch about Jesus returning to the earth with his holy angels. Enoch's holy um, marauds, 10,000 angels are found throughout scripture, Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, Daniel 7 verse 10, Matthew 25 31, 2 Thessalonians 1 through 7. Holy ones not only refer to saints in scripture, but also angels. So then we go into where are Mary and the saints today? Well, when we go into this, um, there's many different things, but one of the biggest parallels that you're going to see throughout the Old Testament is we'll start off in Genesis God, God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life Genesis 3.19 man is dust and to dust he will return Genesis 7.21-22 animals have the same breath of life that man has and I'm just going to go through numerous scriptures and then just tell you what they mean because they're all the same thing <laughs> 
1 Kings 2.10, 1 Kings 11.21 and 43, 1 Kings 14.20 to 31, 2 Kings 8.24, 2 Kings 10.35, 2 Kings 16.20, 2 Kings 24 verse 6, 2 Chronicles 9.31, 2 Chronicles 16.13, 2 Chronicles 21 verse 1, 2 Chronicles 27 verse 9, 2 Chronicles 33.20. Death is like a lightened, death likened to sleep. Interesting, huh? The 12 different verses that all pretty much say the same thing. Job 4, uh, 17, man is mortal, not immortal. Um, Ecclesiastes uh, three nineteen through 20. Men and beasts die alike. Man has no preeminence over a beast when it comes to death. They both return to the dust. Ecclesiastes 9, 5, verse 10. The dead know nothing, and they are not aware of anything. Psalm 6, verse 5. There is no remembrance of God in death. Psalm 115, verse 17. They do not praise God. They are silent. Psalm 146, verse 4, When you die, your thoughts perish. Daniel 12, 1 through 4, The dead will sleep until the time of the end. We'll go into some New Testaments once now. 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16, God only has immortality. 1 Timothy 1, verse 17, God is immortal and incorruptible. 1 Corinthians 15, 53-54 Man is corruptible and mortal, but he can, can attain incorruption and immortality only through God. 1 Corinthians 15, 14-18 If Christ did not rise from the grave, then all those who have died will have no chance for life. 1 Corinthians 15, 23 The resurrection of the righteous dead occurs at Christ's second coming. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 The dead in Christ don't wake up until the second coming of Christ. John 11.11-14 Jesus called death sleep. 1 Corinthians 15.51-53 uh, Death is likened to sleep, and we overcome death when we are resurrected. 1 Corinthians 11.30 Death is a likened sleep. Um, Revelation 20, verse 5, the rest of the dead are resurrected at the end of the millennium. The two major views held in Christianity is one is called classic dualism and the other is called biblical holism. Dualism maintains that the human nature consists of material, mortal body, and spiritual, immortal soul. The soul survives death and goes to heaven, hell, or purgatory. At the resurrection of the soul, it is reunited with the body, and the holistic view holds the body and the spirit are part of one indivisible organism. At death, man is unaware until a feature, until a future resurrection when God will reanimate the dead being. The holistic view. Some noted Protestant theologians encountered their own denominations as a dualistic perspective. 
This includes Oscar Coleman, Clark Pincock, and John R.W. Scott. Um, the Christian hope was not the hope of <coughs> going to heaven with Jesus, but the hope of Christ coming from heaven to earth to establish a kingdom of God on earth to restore all things and redeem the world and raise everyone from the dead. The hope of the resurrection from the dead. He goes on to say that it is interval or <coughs> interim between death and resurrection that the Christian's notion of immortality of the soul ended up developing. I mentioned that immortality of the soul is not just an idea that turns up in the New Testament. Now again, this is just a, a construct that was written by <coughs> Professor Philip Carey. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I don't personally like to go by other people other than scripture, but I just thought that was an interesting thing to note. But the reason why I put in that notation of what he said is because many Catholics and Orthodox people go by catechisms and um, wordings of priests and popes of what they believe the scriptures are saying because they want to have a specific notion of belief versus what scripture actually says. When you read the Bible for yourself, you'll understand the truth. But if you read into what other people say, you're getting a game of telephone and hearsay argument. So, <clears throat> we're going to go into some pagan as, uh, pagan survivals that happen in Christianity now. When we go into the details of the veneration of Mary and the saints, we need to recognize how the Christian church in the first few centuries existed. So we're going to go to the early church history here. This is a well-known fact to anyone who has done research on early Christian church. The two greatest examples of Christianized pagan customs are the two most prominent holidays in Christianity, Christmas and Easter. Today, Christmas 25th, uh, December 25th, <coughs> is celebrated as the birthday of Jesus. Although this celebration did not take place until the 4th century AD, the celebration of Christmas did not take root in Christianity until 300 years after Christ's ascension to heaven. Scripture and history make it clear that the early Christians continued to observe the biblical holidays mentioned in Leviticus 23, as in verses Acts 2 verse 1, Acts 20 verse 6, uh, 16, and 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 through 8. Slowly as the church began to take on mo more pagan converts, it took on the Roman celebration date of the sun god that claimed the date of December 25th for Christ. In ancient Greece, there had been a sun festival known as Helia, celebrated on December 25th. Lent might be better 
um, compared with the fast which preceded the celebration of the I'm going to butcher this word too Eleusinian uh, Mysteries this I can't even talk today commemorates Demeter's period of abstinence from food during her search for the ravished daughter um, um, Persephone sorry tip of my tongue, you know. Growing up, Greek Orthodox people always assumed that they had to fast for 40 days because Jesus did so prior to his temptation by Satan. Many people come to learn, though, that there's no mention of a fasting preceding Christ's resurrection in Scripture. Um, Christ's encounter with Satan also takes place at the beginning of his ministry rather than a few years later at the end. And what about the holiest year, Easter Sunday? A little research into the word Easter, uh, Easter will reveal it derives from the na name of an ancient pagan goddess Ishtar or Astarte. But truth is sometimes stranger than fiction because in most cases Christian churches were erected in the same locations where previous pagan temples stood. The saints took on the attributes of previous pagan gods. And as we've seen above, pagan festivals are repackaged into Christian holidays and festivals. The people were taught that the saints were not to be worshipped like Christ, but they were merely mediators between God and men. But the people, polytheistic in nature, were so to regard them as they regarded Christ and the mediator. In its veneration of the Virgin Mary, not only did Roman Catholic Christianity absorb many elements into the cults of the Greek and Roman goddesses, but Mary is in effect replaced by these deities and continued them in Christian form. Even Mary's mother's uh, Mary's mother's Anne is a saint with many followers and there is no historic or archaeological evidence to suggest Anne was real. Other than the apocryphal writings that were mentioned by her. The veneration of St. Anne may also be due to pagan survivals. Pagans dating back to the first century knew of a goddess named Anne, um, as Anne uh, Perina. And she is mentioned by the Roman poet Ovid as a provider of provisions. Romans also associated with her with a figure of a water nymph, in whose honor cups were emptied. In the Celtic pagan tradition, she appears as Dana. All these pagan traditions have been added to the cult of St. Anne in various Catholic countries. Those who worship in many festivals for St. Anne are not aware. They participate in the rites more than ancient, much more ancient than Christianity. Ceremonies with pagan origins in which Anne and the Roman goddess Dana 
were religiously venerated. Neither of them developed this festival that changed much of the centuries. And this is in, in his book, The Myth of Mary. Caesar Vidal addresses ten similarities between Marian devotion and the worship of the pagan mother goddesses. And I'll get into those right now. <laughs> Both were honored through visual means, sculptures, paintings, and icons. Mary and the goddesses were the mother of all. Both were worshipped with a child. Both are associated with the sun and the horns of a cow. Since the lower middle ages, the crescent moon over Mary's head looks similar to the horns of a pagan goddesses. Both are associated with the harvest. It is common to associate the agriculture work in Catholic countries with some specific with some particular virgin who has seen the patron um, of those specific people. Mary and the goddesses were both associated with the possibility of influencing lives beyond the grave, the worship of stones, or litholatry. Both venerated in grottoes and in caves. They're connected of Mary and the goddesses to the mountains or mountain ranges, the sacrifice of sexuality. All these are lists of images which is credit based into ancient categories when um, the early Christians church believed in a, a concept called iconoclasm, which means the destruction of any kind of structure or idol that would be looked at, worshipped, venerated in a way of uh, a supreme deity or a god. They would destroy it. This is similar to what happened with the Canaanites when <coughs> they were doing their conquest. They were supposed to destroy everything. We also see these um, in scriptures of Exodus 20, verse 4 through 5, and Deuteronomy 5, um, 8 through 10. Another connection between Marian worship and paganism is the rosary. A number of Marian apparitions, Mary tells the seers that praying to the rosary can help save the world from its dire situation. The church dedicates October 7th as its, uh, as its calendar date to celebrate the rosary. For Catholics, the rosary became a popular tool in the Marian uh, veneration in the Middle Ages. The rosary is a set of meditative prayers that call that recall events in the lives of Jesus and Mary. It also is a string of beads that Catholics use to count prayers. The rosary gets its name from Mary's association in the Middle Ages with the sign of the rose. The origin is such a connection that has been sought out in the apocryphal book of the Ecclesiastes 24.14, which says, I was exalted like the rose of Jericho, although the passage obviously has nothing to do with her. Now, since I know a little bit about um, concepts of um, world religions, 
some of the earliest use of prayer beads like the rosary can be traced back to Hinduism. Hinduism is actually known to be the world's oldest religion. The Hindus um, use prayer beads similar to the rosary to play to Vishnu or, uh, and or Shiva. Buddhists and Skaz used similar prayer beads even with Sufi Islam. The Sufi Islam, which unlike the um, uh, Sunni or Sunni um, and the Shia or Shiite uh, Muslims, the Sufi Islam prayer beads um, can be found in the 9th century. The Sufi were known as mystics, and most Muslim cultures don't even consider them to be Muslim. In all cases mentioned, the rosary prayer beads served as an instrument to exalt and to exalt the respective divinities of each religion throughout constant repetition of the divine name which comes into the scriptural evidence in the Bible which says do not pray as the heathens do in repetition. How many Hail Marys does a Catholic need to say to be forgiven? How many Our Fathers to be forgiven? God will hear us on our first prayer. Now to going to try to spitball a little bit more into some ancient um, other religions. We're going to go into the Marian devotion of the ancient worship of a mother goddess suggesting more ancient forms of worship that survive through the veneration of Mary. Keep in mind as we address the, the survivals of this, there's no biblical um, admiration for the veneration of Mary. Um, one example is the is larger number of monuments from ancient Babylon which depict a mother goddess um, some some Marisus and her child Tammuz in her arms. We often can reflect Tammuz as being a, a deity with a very similar um, mythology to Jesus. The difference is Tammuz dies, goes to hell, or goes to the underworld, I should say, and they, um, I believe it's Samaritus, if I remember correctly, that begs Ishtar, or it's either Ayana or Samaritus that begs Ishtar to release him from, and this is where we get the, the cycles of winter and spring. He dies um, after summer, so when fall comes, he dies, and then he gets reborn in spring, which, you know, around Easter time. Um, another example is the plethora of images and goddesses suckling from infant divine offspring. Mary with the baby Jesus on her lap is a common theme in Catholic and orthodox depictions. The theme of the Virgin probably originated in Egypt where the goddess Isis had been portrayed um, doing the same thing with the infant Horus over a thousand years before Christ. One writer goes as far to say as the ancient portrait of Isis and the child of Horus was ultimately, ultimately accepted not only in popular opinion but in formal 
Episcopal sanctions as the portrait of the Virgin and her child. Some of the same statues that were worshipped as the Mother Goddess and her child were renamed as Mary and the Baby Jesus. When Christianity triumphed, said the, um, one of these writers that wrote um, that wrote about these uh, ancient religions, these paintings and figures became those of the Madonna and the Child without any breaking continu continuity. No archaeologist, in fact, can now tell their whether some of these objects re um, represent one or another. So as we can go forward through this, we understand that there is a lot of idolatry, there's a lot of polytheism, there's a lot of veneration, worship, and exaltation in the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Churches with these symbols, with these statues, and with how they pray and how they worship. That said, now we're going to go into the Immaculate Conception because I could go all day with the paganism part. The Immaculate Conception is actually a doctrine um, the, from the Roman Catholic doctrine that refers to Mary, the mother of Jesus. The doctrine states that Mary was born without original sin, and original sin stems from the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Since that sin in the Garden, all of humanity was born with the original sin and our original parents, Adam and Eve. The Orthodox Church believes that Mary was sinless from birth, but was not born without original or ancestral sin. The, the Protestant churches um, usually uh, don't believe in original sin, and certain ones do, d depending on which denomination you go through. But... The one when they do define it, a lot of them don't exactly look at it the same way that the Catholic Church defines it, but believes all humanity, including Mary, are born with a carnal nature that leads us to sin during our physical life. To better understand this Catholic doctrine, we need to understand the dualistic view of life. According to the dualistic view, the conception of a body is formed in the womb of a mother as a result of insemination of the father. At the moment of the body, the soul is created and fused into the body. The process is called animation and implant implantation of the anima, which is a Latin term for the soul, into the body. Each soul uh, is infused into the body with the stain of original sin. Under normal circumstances, such a stain is supposed to be removed at baptism as soon as the birth of the child. This is where we get infant baptism in the Catholic Church. Um, in the case of Mary, however, the stain of the original sin was not removed at baptism, but was excluded altogether from her soul at the time of conception. Thus, the conception of Mary was immaculate because she was exempted from the presence of original sin in her soul and inherited sin from her body. So, 
basically the Catholics are saying that um, she was excluded. She had a pardon to not have original sin. And when, according to what that doctor was saying and what he believes, is that when Joseph and um, Mary had intimate relations, that the insemination was without original sin. And because of without um, original sin, that the conception was completely pure. However, during that point, we also have to understand that if original sin was removed from her, that means that she had to go throughout her whole life without committing a sin or repenting for that sin or having to repent for that sin. Um, based in Jewish custom. So, to understand why Christians came to believe Mary's Immaculate Conception, we need to understand the early Christian views on virginity. And the roots of the dogma of Mary's virginity have multiple sources. Some thought that the end of the world was near, so they chose not to have children. The others thought of renouncing um, sex would make them holier. Beginning in the second century, small groups of Christian men and women committed sexual renunciation scattered throughout the eastern Mediterranean as missionaries of celibacy. Um, as an euthanism of permanent sexual renunciation grew, it won over the bishops of Athenius, Basil, and Augustine. Some within Christianity thought sexual intercourse was sinful in some way. Augustine, an earlier influencer in the Catholic dogma, 354 to 430 AD, taught that original sin was transmitted by the act of procreation. Augustine suggested that either the hereditary taint was transmitted through the genitals and this is honestly kind of uncomfortable to talk about during this podcast but I'm sure we're all adults here that were um, transmitted through male genitals themselves during intercourse and of the body itself not the soul was genetically flawed by the fall of man or that because a child cannot be conceived outside of sexual embrace it was necessary necessarily involves the sin of passion the child is stained from that moment ambrose 340 to 397 a.d the bishop of milan and jerome 40 uh, 347 to 420 a.d an influential priest and theologian also thought that celibate life was more spiritual. Jerome even wrote a treatise against the Stoic philosopher Helvinidius, defending the perpetual virginity of Mary. But the flues of the influential Christian leaders are in opposition to the God-ordained creation of sex and marriage Genesis 128 and Hebrews 13 verse 4 
So now we're going to go into something a little more interesting here because most of the writers on the subject were men and unmarried men at that. And it's been easily become an interesting contempt for women as the devil's snare to corrupt them um, and look at more of a celibate men. The idea of sex that was it was sinful helped influence that Mary had to be a virgin in order to be the God-bearer. Now that is another interesting thing that we need to understand is Mary is actually referred as the God-bearer. I mean, she was holding. And what that essentially is implying is that she was a surrogate for God. God gave his spirit to Mary, Mary got pregnant, and she was the surrogate to bring Jesus into this world. Um, because of this, in 451 AD, the Council of... called... called... these weird Greek names, man. Uh, Chaldadon... Uh, Chaladon, I think that's how you pronounce it, sorry, I always get these words tongue-tied, the concept of Mary's virginity was recognized by the church, by the council in 451 AD. The problem is, when you investigate the scriptures, clearly Jesus had brothers and sisters. Matthew 13, 55-56, Mark 6, verse 3, John 2, verse 12, John 7, verse 3, Galatians 8, uh, sorry, Galatians 1, 18 through 19, 1 Corinthians 9, through, uh, 9, verse 5. And the Eastern Church Fathers taught that these brothers were, uh, were stepbrothers from a previous marriage, marriage Joseph probably had. The Western Church Fathers taught the brothers were the first and second cousins of Jesus. These reasons were due to the Orthodox East and the Catholic West teachings that Mary remained a virgin her entire life. There are also other problems with the idea that Jesus did not have younger siblings. Tertil uh, Tertillian, uh, Higgesipsis, and John Chrysostom, among the other fathers of the church denied the perpetual virginity of Mary and affirmed that the brothers and sisters of Jesus, which the Gospels mention, Matthew 13, 54 through 55, and Mark 6, verse 3, were Mary's children. Another problem is the census of Caesar Augustus addressed in Luke 2. If Joseph had at least six children from a previous marriage, we would expect them to travel with him as a family especially since every family member was expected to register. And Luke 2 verse 5 only mentions Mary and Joseph registering. Another problem is Matthew 1, 24 through 25 mentions that Joseph knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. The implication here is that Joseph and Mary had not been together sexually until after Jesus was born, which throws that doctor's idea 
completely out the window of what he was saying of Joseph and Mary having um, intercourse relations and inseminating um, Mary through an immaculate conception of her being um, pardoned from original sin proves that that guy and his YouTube video was incorrect. So now that we have been breaking down all of that, we basically, throughout this entire episode, we have one, went through Mary and the Saints in Scripture, showing that none of them have any specific manner of being worshipped. We have went through the scriptures to show that Mary did not have any specific manners to be worshipped other than the aspect of she was being chosen and highly respected by God to carry the child. On top of that she was from the lineage of David which gave the prophecy accuracy. We went into where the saints are now and Mary and expressing where death becomes us. So where we go when we die. Um, Mary and the apostles were not divine, they were all human. So if they were all human, then the only exception that they would have to go to heaven is that they did complete God's work completely and God gave them the, you know, God gave them the, um, the ticket to get to heaven, you know. So, if they are in heaven, which, in my personal belief, I believe that they are, but, um, I, uh, scripture also says that once we die, we're in the dirt until the time of the second resurrection, or the second coming of Christ. And then the second resurrection is when we'll all be ready to go back. We went into the pagan aspects, which I could have gone a much more in-depth with this episode in the pagan aspects. Um, we went into Ishtar, we went into Ayana, we went into um, the different belief systems, we went into the prayer beads, we went into idolatry, we went into iconoclasm, we went into all these different aspects of why this is wrong and we even proved it through scriptural debate um we went into december 25th and easter as being um holidays that were actually um orchestrated by the christian uh, by not by pagan um by pagans and were rooted into catholic and organized religions um, as being adapted in, I believe it was like a little bit after 300 AD as Jesus's birthday as Christmas. And, um, this is also falls back into the book of revelation as the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which the Nicolaitans were derived from a person who was originally, 
a pagan who converted to Judaism and then reconverted to uh, Christianity and believed at some point that when he was teaching his members um, about Christianity that he would also introduce pagan festivals and rituals and stuff because he grew up with it and that's you know what he did that he would use these pagan influences to help bring people closer to Christ. The deeds of the Nicolaitans were actually um, referenced in the book of Revelation with the Greek word misio, which means a hate or a loathe for. We went into the Immaculate Conception, um, Original Sin, and by the end of this we just disproved the doctor um, the Catholic doctor's um, admiration of why he thinks Mary should be prayed to and the saints by that regard I am going to fully say my personal opinion I think Saint Peter Saint Paul all the different apostles all the different um, people that were in the Bible, including Mary herself, um, the prophets, everybody, they all deserve to be highly respected and loved and cared for, but they are not God and they do not need to be worshipped because it states specifically in every single aspect of Abrahamic religion that there's only one God and we can only pray to him. Other than um, other in the book of Timothy, it says there's only one mediator between God and men, and that is the man Jesus Christ. And that is the only one that we should be praying to for our mediation. No one can go to the Father except through me, is what Jesus said. And in the book of Job, Job even said that there is no mediator, there is nobody in between God and him. So, he's begging God for an answer. And it took until the end of the book of Job for God to finally answer him. At this point, this isn't to discredit any Catholic person, and this isn't to discredit anybody who, um, any Catholic or Orthodox person. It's just to provide scriptural proof. I am sorry to say, doctrines, catechisms, anything that was written after the biblical narrative biblical narrative should always be your first source of knowledge and anything that comes after if you cannot parallel it in scripture then it is considered heresy if you do have any questions or concerns you can email me ministermartyr at gmail.com and I'm willing to try to answer any other questions you have but this is how I have to explain it the best I can because when people are spreading misinformation and are being taught in tradition, Jesus also spoke against the tradition. You honor the traditions that honor yourselves and don't honor God. Well, we're not here to just honor the saints and stuff. We deserve to they deserve to be loved and respected. But we're here to honor God and even the saints and Mary prayed to God. They didn't, this, the apostles never prayed to Mary. God bless you all and have a great week.